Michael McMullen. Welcome once again to the World Snooker Tour podcast, where my guest this week is someone who I think I'm safe in saying is the only player on the tour to have played at the Crucible but never lost there. It's John Astley. Welcome along, John. Thanks for having us. We'll come to your Crucible story in a little while. But you're from Gateshead in the northeast of England. Gary Wilson, Elliot Slesser, Sam Craigie, David Lilly, yourself. It's becoming a real strong area for the game over the last couple of years. It is, yeah. Uh, it's It's been, I think, probably in the last 10 years or so since, uh, well, obviously, Gary's been, I think, on two other longest, obviously. And then um, sort of me, Elliot, and Sam started coming through and then David the last few years. Um, but yeah, it's always been a really strong area for snooker and I think it's probably helped me, you know, when I was growing up, uh, practising with the likes of Gary and stuff to brought us up, you know, to, to a good enough level. And it was a big thing for you growing up as well, that the British Open was on in Newcastle for a while and you went along to as many of the matches as you could and that really fueled your dreams in the game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I remember uh, I was probably only playing once or twice a week at the time, uh, just started getting the bug for it. And uh, obviously the, the British Open was on at the, the, the arena, so I managed to get tickets for like every day. You know, after school, I would, I would go along and watch the matches and on, a, on the weekend. And uh, I, just, I just loved it. And I think it sowed a little seed in the back of my mind, you know, thinking, you know, one day I would love to be walking out in like this sort of big arena playing snooker. For, for my career so you know thankfully I've gone on to do that. So you became a professional in 2013, won yourself a two-year card. What was it like early on because you got some decent results in that first season? Uh, yeah it was um, I mean a big eye-opener obviously it's yeah it was obviously sort of part one of your if you dream do you know I mean to sort of turn professional mm. so that was a that was a big thrill um, in my first match uh, as a pro as well, I, I managed to qualify for China, so that was that was huge, you know. Um, and then, like I say, I had some decent results, but um, yeah, it was just like obviously you've seen the, the the level and the standard just went through the roof. But you know, with because I had some decent results, like fairly quickly, I, I knew that I was I was good enough, which was a nice confidence boost. You beat Ken Doherty in the UK in your first season. That's mm. very hard to do because with all his experience very hard to uh, overcome him so early on yeah yeah definitely I think uh, even you know up t- up till now it's it still goes down as one of my favorite matches and like mm. say the, at the time of it as well first season because um, I remember going to the Barbican as well like when I was very young watching as you know and thinking I would love to play here one day and then like you say to beat a former world champion there uh, when Ken was you know to be fair still I think a top 30 40 player um, was a massive result and I remember you know being all over sort of BBC Sport for the afternoon and getting some interviews with a local radio station and uh, all my mates were ringing us you know saying I've just heard you on the radio so it was all a bit uh, surreal at the time but like I say another really good result that you know gave us a boost going forward. Some people don't like all that attention at a young age early on in their career but it sounds like you enjoyed that time in the spotlight. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I work pretty hard to get to where I was. Uh, I, I wasn't like too young, do you know I mean? I was, I think I was 23 at the time, maybe 24 or something. So I'd matured a bit, you know, and I felt like um, I was getting to, to where I wanted to be. So I, I handled that quite well, I think. You talk about football teams coming up to the Premier League and they do well in their first season. And then there's this thing called second season syndrome and they often get relegated. And it actually happened to you, didn't it? Because your second season on the tour, things didn't go quite to plan. So what went wrong? Was there more expectation on you? Um, I'm, I'm not sure, really. I think um, it's quite 
obviously difficult sometimes with this the, the structure of the tour where if you if you're lower ranked you know a lot of tournaments you can get obviously drawn it you're going to get drawn against sort of top seeds and um i think that maybe happened for for a spell but um and then you've got the like you say the added pressure of knowing that that you know you've got to try and stay on that season mm. so in the back of your mind that's sort of taken over um and obviously just didn't do enough to to get me points and, and get back on you know so uh yeah i was obviously really disappointed to to fall off but i think i sort of knew in the back of my mind that with the wins i'd had that i would you know ho- hopefully just be a matter of time working hard i would get back on the tour and it only took you a year and as often happens actually john when guys come back onto the tour they get back on through q school or whatever they have a really good event then as soon as they return to the circuit. And that certainly happened to you. You got to your quarterfinal of the ranking event in Latvia. Played Mark Williams in the last eight. He beat you by four frames to one, but most of those frames were close. And maybe that was harder to take because the chance had perhaps been there to beat him. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember too much of that match now. I think maybe the the, the frame I did win as well. I think I did, had a 100 break. But, you did, um, yeah. The, like you say, the other frames, I think Mark just probably, you know, with his craftiness and stuff, and, and he's he's match played just and and I think it was probably one of my first matches on the TV table as well. Mm. So again, that was new, fairly new to us, um, and I, I just didn't quite you know get probably settled down in that match. But like you say, to to get back on the tour and then so quickly get to a sort of quarter final of a ranking event was was great and on um, just you know give us a good good building. Apart from there. And the great thing is that you did build because the very next event was the Indian Open. You went out and got to the last 16 of that. You had another last 16 later that season in Gibraltar. So at that time, the expectations in your own head about what you might achieve must have really been going up all the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, like from, like you say, from the the, two, the first two years I had, so then obviously dropping off, but then getting back on. I think like a lot of players, the sort of, the, you know, you, you gain an experience through all that and then you you you. you come back stronger you know and then um, I felt like I was getting you know finding my way on the tour a bit and uh, you know like you can see I, w- I was starting to feel a lot more comfortable uh, in my matches and I was you know steadily getting to where I wanted to be. You fell off the tour then in 2020 for the second time so what were those years like between that great season that you had and then falling off the circuit you had three years in between did you feel like your game was in decline or were you just not having the good luck to get the results um i think it was just a i think it was just a d- difficult time i think when obviously i dropped off um in 2020 it was in the in, in when obviously the pandemic had mm, all started yeah. you know and i think just uh things were just you know, all a bit all over the place, weren't they? I think even the tour was. And then uh, actually me, you know, me and my wife had were, were, were first son in the, in the COVID time as well, you mm-hmm. know, so we had a lot of things going on off the table. Um, and I entered the Q schools still, you know, when I went in, in the pandemic, but didn't quite get through. Um, so it did take us a little bit longer than I wanted. But again, I still had the self-belief that, you know, I could get back to back on the tour. Horrible time to be falling off, though, as well, wasn't it? Because the world had shut down, at least if you were on the tour, there were tournaments to go and play. And so that must have been very hard to really have nothing to do as a player during yeah, the COVID was, era. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it was obviously, you know, hard, uh, like, watching the tournaments and seeing, watching the scores and come on. But like I say, I had had my first son during that time. So mm-hmm. I tried to, you know, look on the positive side that I, I I got to spend a lot of time with him, you know, in his first six to nine months or whatever, you know. So I, that that's what I drew from that, was spending more time with my family. 
And what were those couple of years like? Were you going off doing another job or anything, or did you still concentrate on the snooker? Um, I was. I couldn't really obviously play for a while because the club was totally closed down for yeah. for a bit. Um, and I actually just did little bits of work with me um, my uncle who does um, like kitchens and bathrooms and stuff. Oh, okay. Once he could start again, he was allowed to go into people's houses. Um, I would just go along and give him a hand with whatever he needed. Um, so I did a little bit of that just for, you know, obviously a bit of, a bit of money here and there, uh, which I was really, you know, grateful for. Um, and obviously doing something like that as well gives you another little bit of a perspective on, on a, you know, sort of a normal job, if you know what I mean, and, and doing that sort of thing. But I enjoyed it at the time. And, uh, you know, my uncle was good for us, good was forgiven us that. So Q School came around in 2022 and you beat Stan Moody, Robbie McGuigan, a couple of very good young players. So that must have given you a bit of belief along the way. You come to the last match of the last event. You're playing Michael Holt, very established player who's basically battling for his professional future. Last chance saloon for both of you. The tension surrounding that match must have been enormous. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't... uh it wasn't very enjoyable, obviously. You know, I, I remember winning the the the, the round before. You know, the, the the night before, four three, I think, against Ian Martin, and then uh, I sort of knew I had the winner of Michael Holt's match, and uh, I think I slept okay that in the hotel. But the, the morning of it, you know, like probably didn't eat very much. You know, was just like you just you just know how big the game is. You know what I mean? But you're trying to just treat it like a snooker match and, and that's that's what I did through the whole Q school the last event especially. I managed just to go out there and just play, you know, try and play as normal as I can without thinking of the consequences too much. And I was actually starting to play pretty well in, in, in most of my games. So I felt quite confident um going in and weirdly enough the season before, like as a as a top up, I played Michael I think three times. Yeah. As a, in, in ranking events and qualifiers, and I, I managed to win a couple of them. So I took a little bit of confidence just from that as well, even though it's still a different game. Um, and you know I held myself together I think really well, and you know managed to win four uh, two I think wasn't it? So um, just unbelievable feeling, like you know. And when you have that moment that you've done it and you've got your card and you've got your two years, I imagine there's enormous relief and probably also a feeling of, I want to make sure I'm not back at this Q school for a very long time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's uh, everyone everyone knows that's played in it and stuff, that it's it's a really brutal tournament to be, be in, you know, and it's uh, it's only obviously so for two and a half weeks of the year, so you've got to try and just be on it for, for a short amount of time and it's just... You know, like I say, not very enjoyable. You're just trying to go there to do a job, and uh, you know, like I say, I left at the last event of the last day to, to get through. I couldn't have got any sort of tighter, but um, just just obviously great feeling to get back on the tour. Some players in situations like that, John, they come off the table and they say, "This was my last chance. If I hadn't got back on, I was going to pack it in." Now, were there thoughts like that in your head that at the age of 33, if you hadn't been able to get back on through the Q school, it might have been the end of the road for you? Um, I think you, you you do have little thoughts about stuff like that. You know, what I mean, I think it's just natural for anybody. But I, I always knew that sort of you know my game could could get back on and stuff. I think it was just. A bit more of the getting back in the right mental state as well, you know, um, and sort of getting getting some confidence back, you know. I think that's what was lacking a little bit when I fell off um, in 2020. I'd lost like a lot of deciding games that season, you know, and if I'd won probably half of them, and then maybe won some more matches after them, I, I probably would have stayed on the tour. 
and I just and I just got into this, you know, you, you get into a habit of, of losing and your your mind just, you know, goes away with itself. So um, you know, getting the confidence back from the Q school and then and then getting back on the tour, you know, you've you've got to just try and stay stay positive. And you've got a young family, as you alluded to there. Does there come a stage where you start thinking to yourself, I can't keep going on like this unless I start making it and can stay on the tour for a decent period of time. It might be time to go off and do something else, just from practical lifestyle point of view and earning a living. Um, a little bit, yeah, but I've actually, in the last sort of eight to ten years as well, I've actually been doing uh, coaching a bit on the side in the club. So during like the time when I haven't been on the tour or playing as many competitions, I, I, I built the coaching up to actually a pretty good level of like, you know, good income and stuff. And I had like 25 people that were coming to see us quite regular. So, you know, that was sort of a little bit what I had to fall back on. Um, and I actually really enjoyed the coaching as well. And it, and it was good because it kept us like in the game and mm. on the table a bit and in the club. So I was never far away from snooker. Um, so I think that was that was still there if I if I wanted it if I needed it, uh, but I still knew when I wanted it to play for for longer, you know. Let's come to the quick fire round. Best holiday destination you've ever been to? Went to Cyprus about five years ago with my wife, and that was that was really nice. So I'd probably put that up there. Your ideal way to spend a day off? Um, be careful. I, I probably have a, a round of golf in the morning with me with my friends, and then. Uh, spend the afternoon with it with the kids you know take them out for something uh and just like i say spend the day with the family players you'd go on a night out with um alan taylor um probably robbie williams favorite song um I quite like me old school like r&b so maybe mm. something like usher or something like that and the best movie you've ever seen um I would still say the original um, Independence Day with like Will oh, Smith in. Yeah, That's yeah. just one of my favourite ones. Bit of a like action sci-fi film. Now, you've never actually been in a movie, John, but you have been in a play. And this is what I was alluding to earlier, that you've actually played snooker at the Crucible because they needed someone who was obviously a competent player to take part in the play that was called The Nap that was put on in Sheffield. So how did that come about for you, that you got that opportunity? Um, it was the. It was just I think the year after um, I'd fell off the tour, so it would have been the first time about 2016, I think it was, um, or might have been just 2015 in the December. I think actually I remember getting a phone call off uh, Ivan here at World Snooker and said that a casting director had been in touch with with World Snooker to ask, you know, wanted a, a snooker player to appear in a, a play. Uh, at the Crucible Theatre and uh, I was sort of like listening to what he was saying and I was like thinking is, it, is this all like <laughs> is this real? a wind up exactly yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and he so he said um, you know Ivan and a couple of other people had like had a chat about possible people to do that and uh, luckily one of my, my name popped up in the conversation and why was that had you done any acting before no no I think it was a little bit um to be honest, a little bit right place, sort of right time, mm. as in I wasn't on the tour at the time. So um, the sort of what, asking if I had the, the time to go, you know, had to go to London for rehearsals first and meet all the cast. And then obviously I, I moved to Sheffield for about six, seven weeks. So, um, you know, a, a professional player at the time wouldn't have probably been able to give up that m amount of time. Um, so luckily I, I did, you know, um, I could I could do it. and. 
the the more I sort of found out about it and met the director and stuff, and it just felt like it was actually sort of a perfect little little role for us, you know, like because at the time and then like you say, I sort of was was uh, playing to a decent enough level to uh, do what they wanted in the scenes, so it just was uh, amazing how it came about. And what did the role involve? Did you have any speaking part, or was it just playing? No, no, I think it's, uh, luckily I didn't, for me, Jory accent. <laughs> so, uh, no, no speaking parts, but um, just purely uh, snooker. So I was I was in two scenes, one sort of in the middle of the play, um, where I was uh, obviously a snooker character playing against the, the main character in the play, in the, when the lights came on, basically the, the balls were set up and the reds were spread around, and I had to try and clear the table and try and make like a, a, the ideal hundred break. Mm. So obviously quite a bit of pressure, but um, you know the, the pockets were massive and stuff. But um, I managed to do that quite a few times. So so you know, w- were there nights when it didn't work out? And you, you yeah, yeah. Well, I, so obviously like rehearsals, like, you know, I says like I'm I'm going to try my best here, but <laughs> I might not make a hundred yeah. every night. But the idea was is obviously just for me to win that frame, that was the main thing, because it was basically he was actually throwing that frame uh, to win his manager, like money and stuff. It was a little bit funny, oh, the story. Right, okay. It had a bit of like sort of like corruption involved, which was really interesting. But um, so the game was so like as long as I won the frame, that was the main thing. But obviously if I could make a hundred break, then obviously a big bonus and the crowd would love it and they were cheering, do you know what I mean? So that was the first one. And then uh, the second scene, I was there, uh, the very last scene of the play where I was a different character. I had to like put different, uh, you know, hairstyle glasses on stuff and different uh, waistcoats and everything. And uh, I played, it was 17, 17s each in the final of the world championships. And were basically playing the last few balls out to see who would win the world championships. And uh, we did it in rehearsals, so I would clear up to the pink and black and I would sort of, you know, miss on purpose. And then Jack, who, who was actor, would try and come in and pot the pink and black to win the world championships. But again, this could all just go wrong, do you know what I mean? Because it's live sport and live snooker. So we'll come up with a bit of a plan where, funny enough, uh, I did win the world championships, I think, seven or eight times. But the <laughs> ideal, yeah, so I lifted the trophy as well in the in the Crucible, which is, you know, still a bit surreal. I've got a few photos and stuff, but... Um, the ideal sort of ending, obviously, for the player was for him to pot it, pot the last couple of balls, and he was like a local lad from Sheffield to win the world championships, and it would just the crowd would just go mental, you know. Were there any nights where you thought, oh, I love picking up that trophy in the arena? I'm just going to make sure I win tonight. I'm not playing along. I want to experience this. I know, I know. <laughs> I think even I had it obviously a few times. My friends and family came down from Newcastle to watch it, and uh, I kept my professional head on. Like I just mm. thought. You know, a perfect night for me was if I made like a hundred break in the first scene, and then Jack won the final. You know, because it was like a good ending. But obviously, we wanted to keep the snooker as real as possible as well. Mm. That's the thing, and um, that's why we made it so that if the black was hanging over the pocket, I can't really just you know miss it on purpose just for the play. We want to keep it really like authentic, so I would just pot the ball and and win the world championships. <laughs> it's a great story, but it almost didn't end there because you were offered the chance to go on and tour with it again, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. So um, I think, like you say, after the after the nap, I got back onto the tour, and then a few months later, I think it was the the play actually got um, went to Broadway in New York, mm. and uh, I got like a, f- a phone call and emailed, and, and actually got offered the part to go to New York to do it there. And uh, unfortunately, I had to had to turn it down because I was back on the tour, you know. 
Um, but it, it was a tough decision because, I mean, it was like obviously a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, you know, like the centre's all the information through. I was going to be in a nice apartment just near, I think, there's uh, a Times Square, is it called? Yeah, or amazing yeah, place. Like, exactly, yeah. And um, had, I was like asking friends and family and some other, some of them obviously saying, oh, you should just go and do it, you know, I'll be excellent. But then, you know, I had to just had to just stay and obviously play on the tour because that was me, me and career. So a little bit still disappointed and I, I never got to do that, but... Um, you know, you never know it may come around again sometime. Do you know what happened to the guy who did end up playing that role in the American production? Uh, I think I, I know... Because um, I can tell you, if you don't know. I think he's just got a, a tour card. He's got on the for, tour. Yeah, yeah, Ahmed Ali El Sayed. That's it, yeah, So the yeah. two of you could end up playing each other. A great story. Ah, yeah, it? yeah. So I, I sort of found out he was going to get the part because I think he was like the American national champion maybe and stuff. So he's obviously a good player. And... Um, then, then recently, obviously, I, I read this about him getting the tour mm-hmm. card, and I realised it was the same person. Yes, yeah, so quite ironic. Let's talk about some other things outside of the game. There, you mentioned golf. Are you good? Most snooker players are. Uh, I'm all right. Yeah, I, I just I really enjoy it, you know. And obviously, I'm naturally competitive. So, uh, when the weather's all right, uh, me and my friends try and get out. You know, maybe once or twice a month. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. I can I can play, you know, to a decent level. <laughs> and you talked about your young family as well. You've recently had a second child, is that right? Yeah, yeah, another son. So two little boys in the house. So uh, obviously one of, one of them's a uh, two year old now, and another one's just about nine weeks. So it's uh, pretty hectic at home, but it's uh, brilliant, you know. Like we're very lucky to have two little healthy boys, and they're, they're great. So. Yeah, having a great time at home with all that. And it's extra motivation, isn't it? Because I'm sure there's nothing in your life you'd love more than to one day be holding up a trophy for real this time, not in a play, mm. and your boys to be there with you. What could be better than that? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you see, obviously, uh, you know, you, you see that people do it. Like A few years ago, like Mark King, you know, like mm. in, in, in Northern Ireland when he won, which was like really emotional with his kids and all that. And there is a little part of you that thinks, you know, that I would love to do that one day, you know what I mean? It would be brilliant to share it with them, so... But uh, at the minute, they still haven't really got a clue what I, what I do. So, mm. But uh, no, that would be that would be obviously special one day to do that. And also, I guess you want to not be known any longer just as the guy who was in the play at the Crucible. Mm. You want to be known for something more than that, don't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, uh, me, me wife jokes on actually because uh, when I've played on TV a few times, like every time, obviously the commentators will talk about when I was in the nap because it's obviously you know a good story. But um, it would be nice for them to like have something else to sort of talk about. You know what I mean? And, and maybe talk about what's getting through a sort of a semis and finals of a, a tournament and making me mark more like on the tour rather than in a play. And maybe one day someone will be in a play about the life of John Astley because you'll have won the World Championship for real at the mm. Crucible. John, it's been uh, great talking to you today. I have a feeling you've got many years on the tour ahead of you yet and we look forward to seeing how they pan out. Thanks so much for joining us on the World Snooker Tour podcast. No problem. Thanks, Michael. Cheers. Next time on the World Snooker Tour podcast, Welsh youngster Jackson Page will be talking about his career so far, including a sensational Crucible debut last year. I took a little bit of a bad blow at the end of the first session. Barry needed a snooker, uh, looking like one seven two up, and he got it, and it went 6-3. Then all of a sudden, second session, he started coming back a bit, and I was like, oh, here we go. But I managed to take two good chances at the end to uh, win it, yeah, and it was a great feeling. So that's coming up next time on the World Snooker Tour podcast. And don't forget our bonus content, The 147, rounding up the week's snooker headlines in 147 seconds, out every Tuesday and available to download at wst.tv. Until next time, thanks so much for listening and goodbye.